0: hello welcome to episode three this is a small disclaimer at the beginning of the episode in this episode we were very excited to have a new microphone set up and studio set up and unfortunately the microphone we were using had a very unfortunate static and pop Um, throughout the episode. If this makes the episode unlistenable for you, we absolutely understand, and we will see you next week or possibly the week after when uh, in episode five we finally have uh, moved on to a better microphone. Um, but for the purposes of episode three and four, we are stuck with the recordings as they are. So we apologize in advance that our excitement was misplaced. So enjoy, if you can.
1: Hello, and welcome to the third official episode of Chronically, Colin, Narnia. Our podcast where we read through the entirety of the series of the Chronicles of Narnia and look at uh, just every chapter with a critical eye and analyze them at a college literary level that they were never supposed to be analyzed at. I'm here with my co-host.
0: Blast and botheration. I don't know what to call myself. I'm Kristen.
1: (laughs) And I'm a guinea pig. Beep,
0: beep, 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 beep.
1: And Is we are, that what
0: guinea pigs do? Uh,
1: with the register, my voice can currently operate at yes. They're much <laughs> higher pitched, but
0: uh, do they yeah. really chirp?
1: They they squeak really high. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that people. I've never owned a guinea pig, but people who own them say they're really annoying because they're kind of nocturnal and they do that all night.
0: Oh, like you.
1: Yeah. I make squeaky noises all night. That's kind of my thing. All right. So, we are in chapter three
0: The Wood Between the Worlds. I will say that chapter title wrong at least four times through the course of this episode. Count with me, guys.
1: And this is a very exciting week because we have a brand new recording setup.
0: Recording setup quality change.
1: Uh, we should sound much clearer and uh, not as staticky and crappy. Uh, and we're recording in our new home studio that we just recently redid.
0: New so. home studio. Look at how beautiful it is. Can't you just
1: oh, no, it doesn't work. So um we're...
0: imagine with us then <laughs> a a fantastical world with sound dampening blue squares on the walls uh-huh. and an actual microphone.
1: Yep, it's Cheers. Pick that up. See? Ooh. You guys could hear that before. You probably could have heard that, but it would have sounded like somebody was breaking in through the front window. <laughs> well, that's just because we keep breaking cups. So why don't you start us off and talk about uh, the general idea of this chapter?
0: Well, aren't we going to do our summaries?
1: Well, let's... sure.
0: All right. So our chapter summaries. When we start our uh, episodes, we like to start with a summary of the chapter. And... Um, We kind of do a non-conventional summary where we don't just go through the plot of what happened in the chapter. We limit ourselves to a three to five sentence selection of quotes from the chapter in order to attempt to convey the contents of the chapter. So um, I guess I'm gonna go ahead and go first since I've been volunteered as tribute. And I will read. (laughs)
1: Literary reference.
0: (laughs) There's One of those,
1: many of those?
0: yep. So for Chapter Three, my sentences. Uncle Andrew, you see, was working with things he did not really understand. Most magicians are. If anyone had asked him, "Where did you come from?" he would probably have said, "I've always been here." Mightn't this would be the same? A place that isn't in, in any of the worlds, but once you've found that place, you can get into them all. I'm game if you are, said Polly. Splash.
1: Does splash count as a sentence?
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. It's punctuated as a sentence. It even has an exclamation point.
1: Does it have an option? It
0: appears in the sentence, <laughs> it appears in the chapter as a sentence three separate times.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. Whatever,
0: it's an onomatopoetic ad, uh, device <laughs> that is used in storytelling, and it is part of my summary. All right. Deal with it. Your sentences. Ready, set, go.
1: Okay, my sentences. It was the quietest wood you could possibly imagine. He was not in the least frightened, excited, or curious. I can't remember the boy's face. Any pool will do. Uncle Andrew, you see, was working with things he did not really understand. Most magicians are. That one we chose is the same sentence.
0: We chose the same sentence, and I find it interesting that I led with it and you wrapped up with it. Because for me, I was trying to take this into this chapter from the previous chapter, where they were talking with Uncle Andrew and all of this magician nonsense that was going on, and we go from that into this other world. And I feel like it's a very telling device to intro the world, to be like, Uncle Andrew didn't know what he was talking about, just like you suspected. But you chose it as the sum up of your chapter. I feel yours has less um, actual, like, yours yours references events, but it has less of the actual plot in it.
1: Uh, If I'm being clever, I'm going to say I did that on purpose okay because uh well we're gonna talk a lot about the the philosophical implications of this chapter because i i feel like it's fascinating and it's my favorite chapter so far um but i i feel like overall the wood between the worlds isn't a place where plot happens
0: well i agree with you I agree. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the whole point of the wood between that's, the worlds.
1: That's the nature of its reality, that things don't happen there.
0: Yes. Just the trees grow. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Okay. So that's fair. That's fair. Um, for me, uh, this this kind of wood between the worlds fell into this um, state of being with it. Just It's a place where nothing happens. Like there's even a sentence that I almost used in my summary that said, the place is too peaceful. And that's a reference to them not being able to be afraid or excited or frightened your sentence that you used. Um, But they also kind of sit in this environment, like not being able to remember fully what's happened outside of it and just be like, well, we're here. And we've always been here, but we haven't always been here because there was something before this. Mm-hmm. So that said, why don't you go ahead and talk about what what makes this your favorite chapter? You said this is your favorite chapter we've read so far, and it has the least things actually happening in it. Why do you like this chapter so much?
1: Uh, it's my favorite chapter because I feel like in fiction, some of my favorite... Uh, locales and some of my favorite characters uh, and concepts are things that are outside the realm of normal experience. Hmm. And things that...
0: I feel like that's all fictional. That's what makes fiction interesting.
1: And things that are alien specifically. Okay. And like, the one between the worlds I feel like is such a place where it's can be described by our language it's a forest and it's a quiet forest where you know the trees grow and there's pools and nothing ever happens but at the same time it's so far outside of our experience that it overwhelms the conscious mind hmm. and it is a place so devoid of identity itself that it sucks identity out of you
0: That's an interesting idea because knowing what I know after like reflecting on my vague memories of this chapter, I don't feel like it's a place that sucks
1: identity out of you. That was my impression that I got.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. That's completely fair. Uh I disagree though in that like when the kids do start talking to each other, they're very much still the same people. Polly still says, I'm game if you are. She still wants to, like, explore but know that she's safe and can get back home. Mm -hmm. She makes them go back into the pool they came out of before she's willing to go explore other pools. She demands to be the one who decides when it's safe, like, when she's satisfied that they can safely get back home if they needed to. Um, where she's like, she's the one who's going to say change and then switch their rings so that they can get back to the wood. Right. Um, and Diggory still blast and botheration. Uncle Andrew doesn't know anything. He has no guts and he has got all of, you know, so I, I feel like it's, it doesn't have the identity sucking, uh, kind of quality that you're, you're describing it as having because it's still the same kids.
1: I don't know, maybe that was a poor way of phrasing it, but just the idea that, uh, let's say that Diggory didn't meet up with Polly there, like, he didn't come in and immediately find her, uh, he goes in and is just like, you know, hey, I feel at peace here, I'm not scared, I'm not excited, I'm not curious, I've I've always been here, haven't I? And how long would it have taken him to realize that something was amiss if he hadn't talked to Polly?
0: But is something amiss? I mean, is that not what we would, like, idealize as our perspective of heaven? I'm not scared. I'm not curious. I'm not longing for anything more. I have everything that I want, and everything is perfect and as it should be.
1: Uh, To an extent, I feel like, my concept of heaven wouldn't involve me just completely forgetting about my life on earth. <laughs> because that's terrifying. But, you know. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. At least to me. No. But that's a that's a theological discussion we'll get into in, you know, more adult books in the series.
0: <laughs> more adult books in the series. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. It's a children's book series. You do realize that.
1: Yeah, but, you know, the... The ones that are, like, for the 13-year-olds and not the 10-year-olds. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to those.
0: Okay, sure. We'll, we'll go with that. Okay. The horse and his boy. That That's the one.
1: Okay, That I should sure. not
0: think of us having any kind of... But still, following a child. Okay. Um, so, anyway, there was something that you brought up to me. Uh, at, at, because you read this chapter what uh at the same time that you read chapter two correct and you were amped about something on this and i'm surprised you haven't brought it up yet you were very excited about the concept of the wood between the worlds not as a place where the kids are sitting bumping into each other as if they've never met each other before yeah. but as a as a storytelling method or as a concept. Tell me um, more about, or tell our listeners about...
1: All six of them. Yes. Uh, about as a storytelling concept. I don't think my brother has time to listen to this. <laughs> Remind me of what I told you before, because I'm you not... You
0: said that reading this chapter upset you because the concept of this Wood Between the Worlds was something that had showed up in other literature you enjoyed, and it made you appreciate that literature less, and you got frustrated with it because...
1: Yeah, that that whole thing. Uh, Like, as a... What am I trying to think of? It's not an archetype, as a device. Yeah. As a storytelling device, uh, I've encountered this in a couple other forms of media uh something extremely similar so similar in fact that it's probably lifted directly off of these books and i'm not sure if you know this chapter in this book is the first instance of something like like this existing that'd be worth looking into is to you know to see if this concept has showed up before. And I feel like in certain ways it has. Well, in research with
0: Kristen over (laughs) here, I'll tell you.
1: Before you go into your research, here's what I'm going to say.
0: Don't tell the audience (laughs) that we should research this and then shut down my research. No,
1: I'm going to get to your research, but before you research it, I'm, uh, I don't don't want my thoughts to be colored by your.
0: Okay, well, tell them your thoughts
1: and then I'll tell you. uh, My thoughts are. The facts my idea for what this came from and the closest allegory i can think of to this place is purgatory and this kind of like in between place where it's not it's not really real i guess as a way of putting it or it's not real in the sense that it has consequences or it has weight it's just a place where you can exist hmm and I feel like it's it's vaguely similar to the concept of purgatory in something like Dante's Inferno.
0: Yeah, and the Divine Comedy is actually going to be something that I was going to reference in my research I found. Which
1: I wanted to jump in before you, because I figured you were going to bring that up.
0: Uh, I actually wasn't. That okay. was not going to be the first thing I was going to bring up. I was going to come back around to it, but Dante's uh, Divine Comedy is one of the influencing factors in the research that I did that people believe may have had an influence on this kind of concept. Mm-hmm. Um, however, specifically, The Wood Between the Worlds, the title is lifted almost directly uh, off of a William Morris book published in 1894, which Lewis was known to have been like familiar with and to have enjoyed. Okay. Um, and it's called The Wood Beyond the Worlds. That's the title of that book. And the concept of this wood that gets you to other places as a transportation device kind ah. of thing
1: yeah,
0: um, is lifted off of another uh, William Morris or is alluded to. It's not directly lifted out of, but alluded to in another William Morris book published two years later in 1896 called The Well at the World's End. And it's... Um, the the main character of that book goes through the wood perilous in order to adventure his name's ralph i think he's the he's one of the four sons of a king um anyway also a book that references a character named gandalf uh fascinating yes he is a cruel lord of utterbol uh anyway uh, just fun fact gandalf factoid also so in my reading, this uh, in my in my research, sorry, I'm taking over. In my research, this uh, world, sorry, there's one, this wood between the worlds, uh-huh. um, is refer was referred to in one of the 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 in some of the reading that I did as um, a nexus, yeah. and I found that to be an interesting um thing because for me that word stands out because uh of a star trek reference to star trek the uh, star trek generations the movie where captain kirk gets sucked into the nexus and captain picard ends up in the nexus and when captain picard walks up he kirk's like "Uh, i was on my ship and then you came walking up just after that and picard's like it's been 50 years You've been gone for fit. And he's like, no, I haven't. I've been chopping wood for five minutes. And then you walked up. Uh-huh. Um, so this kind of, like, time, space, like, this thing that's just outside of time. This uh-huh. nexus, this place. Um, which kind of reflects within the stories, uh, like, of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the kids go to Narnia, and they come back... And for them, it's been years. They've grown up. They've become kings and queens of Narnia. They've forgotten about their lives here. And they come back through the wardrobe, and they're like, it's been years, and it had really only been like 10 minutes oh. in our world. So, I don't know, these kind of like time breakdowns where there's some kind of just complete disjointment from time and that the experiences that are had can go beyond anything that we could experience here, with the way that time works here. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead.
1: So, uh, that was
0: my little introspective.
1: Solid research, I had no idea who William Morris was, I've never heard of him, but.
0: He is actually one of the key, uh, key, he is one of the key figures in modern fantasy writing. Because we had wanted to do a little research into the yeah. history of fantasy um, and where Lewis kind of fell in on that, and specifically Narnia fell in on that, um, but yeah, William Morris is is actually one of the um, key names in in modern fantasy as a development. There's a there's a few other people that come up prior to him about 40 50 years earlier in the 1850s 1840s but
1: so his book the uh the one
0: Beyond the World Beyond
1: the World what is the the general idea of that book did you
0: Um I the that one has like a one paragraph plot summary that's pretty like this I don't even remember the main character's name in that one cuz I did more research more reading about the well be, at the world's end but uh, in the wood beyond the world, there's a man, uh, fleeing from a feuding family and ends up finding his way accidentally into the, uh, a world beyond the world or a wood beyond the world, if you will. Uh-huh. And, um falls in love with some woman and ends up going to some wonderful country where their tradition is that after a monarch dies the first foreigner to show up in the land is crowned the new king and so he and his love interest end up being the first foreigners there after the king has died and they're crowned king and queen and they marry and presumably live happily ever after Mm -hmm. that's my summary of the wikipedia plot summary of the book
1: so uh very interestingly more stuff just blatantly copied by the magicians Mm -hmm. Uh, this is
0: (laughs) the magicians being the show that you specifically were series yeah yeah the, Uh, the show and book series that you were initially disappointed as having ripped off this wood between the worlds yeah uh from narnia
1: the two and a half people listening that watch the show are going to be just loving this bit
0: (laughs) where you're utterly disappointed in in (laughs) the creativity of the authorship
1: yeah anyway so yeah there's not a lot of plot that really happens in this chapter as we as we covered that's the core idea is that not a lot happens uh, and so, like, what about character development?
0: Interesting, do, interesting. Do we, okay. have,
1: do we have actual character development?
0: Character development. So character development, you have a character, you almost have a reversal of sorts between the two characters uh-huh. as their um, plot driving roles play in. Because yeah. up to this point, Polly's been the one who's kind of, driven the adventuresome um, side of things. And in this chapter, we discover that Polly feels safe to adventure at home because she knows what, you know, she has a safety net at home. She knows what the limits are. She knows what could and can't, you know, can and can't happen. And um, now that she's here in this other world, she is, And it's actually, there's a sentence that specifically says.
1: um, If you drop all of your note materials.
0: There's a sentence that says, what on earth's gone wrong, said Polly, which I found interesting because of the fact that they're not on earth anymore. They're in this other world. But what on earth's gone wrong, said Polly in a frightened voice. And so in this place where everything is just chillax. And there's no frightening, there's no curiosity. Polly still is frightened when they can't get back to their world. Their first splash into their home pool doesn't take them home. And she's like, what's gone wrong? Yeah. Um, And so she also demands to know that they can get back before she, like I had referenced earlier, before she's willing to explore other pools. And so with that said, you have her going from being this adventuresome driver of adventure to being this person who's like, I need to know that I can get home and that I'm safe and then I'll go on adventures with you. She has no idea what's going to be in these other pools and she's totally fine jumping into other pools once she knows that she can get home. But if she doesn't know that she can get home, then she's like, about that, I'm a little so, frightened. So
1: she's perfectly good with adventure as long as she has a safety net or a lifeline and knows how the adventure will play out. Yes. Like the adventure between the houses.
0: Yes, because the houses are all connected. She knows at worst she could scream and any of the neighbors will hear her. So, now then you have Diggory. If you, and, and Diggory has gone from being this blubbering child to being this... Argumentative you're you're a full uncle Andrew to now being I don't care, I don't want to go back, I just want to dive into new pools and explore
1: so before we lose this thread, you really identify with Polly as a character here this is <laughs> this is who Kristen is as a person where she is perfectly good with adventure as long as she knows the adventure is planned.
0: I mean, as long as I was <laughs> part of planning it, yeah. <laughs> But regardless of how I relate to Polly, Uh I just feel like that is um, showing a new degree and a new level of her character and a new part of her, what's important to her. Um, But it also shows Diggory in this light of just, like, abandon her safety Almost like he is just happy to be free of the fear of his mother dying in the same way that he is happy to adventure with Polly and do whatever is happening because he doesn't have to think about it. Okay. What do you so, think about the character development?
1: Uh, I mean, you said pretty much you, you covered it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure there's a lot I can add to that uh, that I saw. Um, I feel like it's worth noting. It's maybe not particularly interesting, but it's worth noting that despite the vast differences in character between Diggory and Polly, they both respond to the wood the same way initially. Hmm. The, where and
0: the, I've been here forever.
1: And yeah, the I've been here forever thing, and they both have this conversation where they're like, "Oh, I think I remember you. Yeah, you seem vaguely familiar.
0: You had a nerdy face.
1: Yeah." And like they're both affected in the same way by this, mm. so it's a, it's a universal thing, and not just the way that diggery responds to it.
0: But how are it's, the guinea pigs responding?
1: Well, I mean, the guinea pigs seemed happy, and they. That's, that's,
0: Described as fat.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's part of it. It's like, they. Uh, they talked about the guinea pig being there and saying, "Well, we might as well leave him here. He seems happy. He's, He'll be
0: happier here." Uh, than being experimented on by Uncle Andrew.
1: Yeah, which which as a complete aside that has nothing to do with the book, uh, I would say probably not because guinea pigs are social animals and if there's only one of them, they get very depressed.
0: But we don't know that there's only one. I mean, Uncle yeah. Andrew might have sent five or six after his little scare.
1: Then they'd be fine. In, the, in some Scandinavian country, I want to say it's Sweden, you guys can correct me on this later with your tweets, uh, but... It is illegal to own a single guinea pig you have to own multiple of them because they get depressed and they die if you buy one anyway that had nothing to do with anything we're talking about uh so uh we've talked about the lack of plot we've talked about uh character development a little bit Mm -hmm. uh where polly is the you know reserved adventurer and diggory is the which, is Dickory the one that thinks of the idea of marking the pool? Who is the one that can... Polly does. Polly thinks of the idea of marking the pool. Diggory so,
0: is just like, let's go find a new pool to jump in. And Polly's like, um, hang on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, dumb. Yeah. So, Polly thinks of the idea of marking the pool, which is really smart, uh, because Diggory would have just gotten them killed. I'm going to add here that... I'm not sure in this scenario, realistically, that would make a difference because, like, if they wander through the woods a while, like, how are they even going to make it back to that pool in the first place? Yeah, so don't wander like, through the woods. Like, leave th- breadcrumbs for the guinea pig to eat. Yeah, like, who knows how many pools there are. There could be an infinite number of pools. Yeah, so, I found
0: I found this very interesting to try to visualize this wood because it's like this thick wood and this thick canopy, of, and you could almost feel the trees growing, but every 10 feet, there's another 10 foot wide pool. Uh-huh. And so there's nowhere for the trees to grow. Like, yeah. he, he can see another pool from one pool, for, so the trees aren't growing so thick that you can't see the next pool, but they're growing so thick in the canopy that you can't see the sky
1: except leaves. But he can tell there must be a very strong sun overhead because of the, the light coming through the, the still thick canopy. Anyway, uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on, was uh, which I thought was really interesting, was the entire section on them sort of halfway coming back to their own world mm. and then abandoning it. Because this whole description of them, like, flying through space, and Diggory thinks he saw Jupiter and, and, it's, the, moon. and its moon, singular. Which I think would have been accurate for the time frame. Like we could do astronomical research on that, but like in the, the early 1900s, would they have been... A, I think they would have been aware of four moons. Because the main, the main four have been known about forever. Yes. Yeah.
0: They have. Yeah. I've seen the main four with a very weak telescope.
1: Yeah. So maybe that was just a writer error. Um,
0: or it was just the, showing the perspective of Digory as a child and being uneducated.
1: Yeah, but he but he knew what Jupiter looks like, so you know, that's a thing. Um, but this whole thing of them flying back through the house and them coming in like through the atmosphere of Earth and seeing in the houses in London and seeing and seeing
0: through the walls, seeing
1: through the walls, which I thought was really fun,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there was a I thought it was a neat way of illustrating the fact that they were outside of universe outside of the reality that we're familiar with is that they are becoming more real as they go back into the universe or the universe is becoming more real one of these two things hmm. where you know it's like trying to get us for the old people listening like trying to get a signal through on like an antenna on broadcast tv like you start out with static and it slowly comes into focus and you get more and more picture and then it
0: See, and comes in. I, I don't feel like that's what it's describing because they literally go past Jupiter. Like it's it's zooming in Yeah. to a, a, a pinpoint focus. So but why it's are they... starting at Jupiter. And you Well and, beyond and that we're... because
1: they're like oh we're flying past stars and darkness. And yes. Like...
0: And Diggory has just had the conversation with his uncle. Whereas Uncle's like, we it's not another planet. You could go to other planets if you went far enough, fast enough. Uh-huh. It's not that. It's another world. Yeah. And so this kind of flies directly in the face of that for me to be coming back past other planets. Yeah. To be like, we're diving into this pool and there's stars and there's planets. Like... Yes, the other world is clearly another world. And like you said, it's on a different plane of existence. Uh But I don't think that it fully aligns with what Uncle Andrew said. Like, I feel like an audience reading this as children, not fully engaged with how many moons Jupiter actually has, would find this confusing to what has already been told about yeah this reality but writing style aside i do agree with you that it's a very cool visual image to be like we're flying in from space to get to uncle andrew's study
1: so why are the walls transparent i feel like that's a that's trying to say something maybe is that foreshadowing for something
0: i don't know I mean, like, there's other foreshadowing in this chapter that I'm just not going to talk about. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's a very interesting, like, I, I feel like that is the thing that has said you're coming from another world.
1: Uh-huh. Because
0: if you just came in in a in a extra fast Zoom from Jupiter into Uncle Andrew's study... Like it wouldn't have it would have been more like I was saying, travelly, from uh-huh. as far and as fast as you can,
1: uh-huh.
0: versus this otherworldly transport back into your own plane of existence. Yeah, I feel like the transparent walls have some kind of influence in that experience. Yeah, that it's like, yeah, this really is a different existence, a different plane, a different world.
1: Yeah. Anyway, that was interesting. Uh, so before we get to, like, chopping and screwing the chapter and making it into some other story, like we, we tend to do, is, are there any other points you want to kind of go over? Anything interesting in the book?
0: Uh, I mean, I was going to rant about the sexism of Polly being the one who wants to feel safe. Um... But I feel like it's relevant to her character and kind of what we talked about within character development. um, That it is very much a relevant development of her character to be like, yeah, she really is fine with the adventure when she knows that she has a safety net and that she's okay and that she's experienced some of these things before. Versus being like, little girls trust old men who compliment them and they just want to feel safe. Uh-huh. You know, like that kind of...
1: Oh, uh, there's one thing I wanted to jump in really quick, which I thought was uh, I thought was a plot hole, maybe. But I don't know enough about the series as a whole to say whether for sure it is. But it says in the chapter, uh, we have the green rings and the yellow rings. And they're made out of stuff mm-hmm. that comes from this place. Mm-hmm. The yellow rings want to return to the wood beyond worlds. The green wings want to go outward back to somewhere else. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: so we know for sure the, the, you know, the yellow rings. The yellow rings for sure come from the wood. Do the green rings as well? Is we that implied? But that's implied. Okay. So the yellow rings that take you to the wood beyond worlds come from the wood beyond worlds. How did somebody get there in the first place? That's a good question. Because if you need material from there to get there, how does the first person get there?
0: What if the first person came from there?
1: Also valid? Yes. So I just thought that was worth noting. That...
0: So things that I wasn't going to talk about. <laughs> okay. Um, it is speculated yes. that the wood beyond the worlds mm-hmm. that one was a struggle it is speculated that the wood beyond the worlds is in uh the country that aslan alludes to himself as being from that's not that's outside of narnia okay because um, he talks about like coming from a different country and his country being outside of narnia proper and so it is speculated that the wood beyond the worlds is in Aslan's country, uh-huh. and so Aslan, as this kind of creative god force, uh-huh. is would then be the the first world, if you will. And so, stuff from here ended up getting into our world. Uh-huh. So that's that is a speculation. At this point, I genuinely don't remember enough to actually speak to the truth or validity of that. But that's a speculation that came up in some of my research about the Wood Beyond the World book by uh, William Morris Um, because I got there from the Wikipedia article on this chapter specifically. Uh Um, So that said, there is this kind of idea that anything that came into this world got here from that world to begin with. Interesting. And that it's not that, or that or that the worlds existed separately and the connection came starting on that end to begin with. Uh-huh. And it isn't that we just happen to reach up and grab that world with these rings, but that the connection came from that side first. Ah. So no, no plot holes there.
1: Okay, I, I didn't figure. I just thought it was worth noting and talking about.
0: No, it wasn't.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Glad I can add something to this podcast.
0: Hey, so you took us into the characters.
1: So I will <laughs> take us into the next segment then, because I feel like I'm contributing. And uh, in this segment, we are going to take sentences like we did to summarize the chapter. And we're going to reorganize them to tell a new story with just the words that are in the chapter itself. They could be the same sentences we started with. They could be entirely different ones. I have chosen all the same sentences again because I feel like it worked this time. And it's really just a matter of convenience for me.
0: And I don't know if it worked because I feel like your initial sentences didn't plot summary and You can make whatever point you want to from that, but I I don't know if it's effective I feel like you chose sentences for the second segment and made them work for the summary.
1: No <laughs> That's not my intention. I mean if nothing else my first two chapters were fine So if this is a bummer then whatever all, All right. right uh, do you wanna?
0: No, nope, you go first.
1: Okay, I'm gonna read first, and these this is my reordered story.
0: A surprisingly difficult task.
1: And I'm uh, not gonna do that thing that Kristen hates, where I number the sentences first. I'm just gonna read them.
0: Bless you, sir.
1: It was the quietest wood you could possibly imagine. Any pool will do. Uncle Andrew, you see, was working with things he did not really understand. Most magicians are. He was not in the least frightened, excited, or curious. I can't remember the boy's face. Hmm.
0: So tell me what your story is about.
1: Uh, so my... My story is, again, for some reason I find...
0: You find Uncle Andrew Andrew a a compelling character. A compelling character. You really do.
1: Uh, And I write stories from his perspective. I'm going to end up writing this entire book from Uncle Andrew's perspective, (laughs) which is going to be really hard in the chapters he's not mentioned at all.
0: (laughs) You'll just be like, parentheses, (laughs) Uncle Andrew fought.
1: (laughs) And my idea behind this uh, rewriting was uh, that Uncle Andrew is leading the kids into this place. This is a, re- uh, a retelling of it. If Uncle Andrew hadn't been just, you know, something. And if he had been more courageous and brave and what Diggory wanted him to be, he is leading an expedition. Mm. And so, you know, he he comes into this place and he's going to say, any pool will do. I mean, we can go. We can go anywhere. Uh, but he has this kind of... Ap- uh, Attitude of being the scientist, still, where he's not frightened, excited, curious. He's just like, This is research. We need to do this and we need to find, figure stuff out. I feel like the there's a big transition there in the last line where I can't remember the boy's face. What is, well, it's something goes wrong. Hmm.
0: So, your story has no plot, just mystery.
1: Oh, there's a plot there. <laughs> A,
0: something goes wrong and he a, doesn't remember yeah, the boy's face. I haven't
1: really Just... connected that, but this was me trying to use the original sentences again, and that's what I came up with. <laughs> okay. Again, like you said at the beginning of this, it's really hard to come up with sentences because not a lot happens in this chapter. Absolutely. So, go ahead. What are yours?
0: All right. Diggory's hand was shaking as he opened his penknife and cut out a long strip of turf on the bank of the pool. He was not the least frightened or excited or curious. They stared at each other and turned quite white as they realized the dreadful thing Diggory had just been going to do. What on earth's gone wrong, said Polly in a frightened voice, but not quite so frightened as you might expect, because it is hard to feel really frightened in that wood. I'd forgotten.
1: So you you went through a for a much darker kind of feel. Well, uh, I, I mean, I there's a lot of me. darkness <laughs>
0: in there. Yeah. It's the whole chapter is talking about feeling fear versus not feeling fear versus like it's this concept of the un- unheimlich, the un-home, unhomely, the the there but not quite there-ness of this wood.
1: The, in, the uncanny valley. Yeah,
0: so. the uncanny, not the uncanny valley, but like the uncanny. Uh. The, the Yeah, it's just like this place to me in the same way that you when I described it as heavenly mm-hmm. you said I would hate to forget my life it's terrifying to me yeah. it's frightening
1: Yeah,
0: like these are the sentences that to me strip it of any of that beauty and just reveal the frightening side that you had kind of talked about it striking that chord of for you uh huh In the future you're
1: not allowed to sit in that chair we can just record the squeakiness of the chair and we can edit that out through the whole thing yeah that's going to be totally feasible starting back now so uh that was very interesting though um
0: especially since i didn't talk about it as being a frightening place and i kind of downplayed yeah. your frightening side of it
1: yeah I, I i think it's a terrifying place and that's that's part of why i think it was so interesting is because as someone who has not read this book before it's not a place i expected them to go
0: mm, yeah i mean it's not a place i remember that like i i didn't remember it until i read it mm-hmm. I, I don't remember them coming back to check and see if they could come back here yeah. Like when you told me the next chapter was the wood between the worlds yeah. and um, it, and you kind of talked about how it was a tool that you had seen used before and it kind of resonated with you as like, oh, it wasn't as creative as I thought it was when these other people used it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was the first for me where I was like, oh Yeah. There is this intermediary place, <laughs> and they're not going to Narnia, like with the rings. Yeah. They're going to the woods the, between the worlds. That's like, what I was
1: assuming going into it when they did the rings, and then going to this like tertiary place uh, surprised me. Mm, yeah. Uh, but I feel like there is this era of, like, the era, aura of malice about it, where mm. there are so many things that are creepy about this place. Where they go in and they're like, You can't hear anything, there's nothing living here. Like, there are trees, there's nothing else. It's completely still. It's dead.
0: You well, it's not because you can you can almost feel the trees growing. But so there's it's nothing, not dead. But
1: there's nothing else. Like in any forest it would be like a buzz with noise. You'd have insects and you'd have distant animals and like birds and all this stuff. And here there's just nothing but Except these trees. A pig. Except the guinea pigs. Uh And it reminded me very much uh, of Life of Pi, Mm. which I both read and watched the movie, but the the floating island that he gets to.
0: That he may or may not have
1: gotten to. That he may or may not have gotten (laughs) to, but the floating island he talks about, where he finds this place of refuge and then realizes that it's killing him, and says afterwards, you know, peace is nice and rest is nice, but... Sometimes it's not healthy and it's not what you need and It was a trap and I would have been content to stay there the rest of my life and that was the problem with it
0: Hmm, okay,
1: and that was very much what I was thinking about when Diggory is just like oh I've always been here haven't I yeah where this place feels like a trap where he'd be content to stay there the rest of his life, but
0: But does it have to be a trap Could it not be more like the Nexus in Star Trek, where it's a place that people long to get to?
1: It seems so boring, though.
0: I mean, in the Nexus... uh, I mean, uh, obviously, the Star Trek iteration of the Nexus is a very different place in that it is where you get all of your heart's desires. So everything that you ever wanted, if you never had time to have a family and you wanted one, like... Your wife is there, and you have all of the memories of having met and fallen in love. Like,
1: But is any of that real?
0: I mean, it is it is what you experience. So as long as you're there, it's as real to you as anything else.
1: Yeah, but so is a holodeck, if we're using the Star Trek analogy. like,
0: Yeah, but a holodeck doesn't impart you with memories of an experience.
1: So it's a very advanced holodeck.
0: Maybe. All right. So, off of Star Trek. Yeah. What?
1: Oh, uh, give me the book. I need to uh, look at a passage really quick, because I was going to throw in a, another reference before we got to our rating system. Okay. Uh, where was it? it was another somewhere...
0: reference. Could we also have, like, a little mini dictionary of italicized words? Because, bro... Lewis and his italics. His the italic- last chapter was intense. This one only had like five, but the last chapter had like 17 italicized words. All right. All right, so while you're searching, yes. can I...
1: Go, go ahead.
0: I haven't looked at what you're looking at in the book, but yeah. can I guess what it is that made you laugh that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, go ahead. Diggory asking Polly if she's got pockets.
1: No, not oh, in Oh, man.
0: That moment to me, I was just like, so relevant to all of my <laughs> whining and complaining and you not understanding me not having pockets it's it's just the way that women's clothes are made and even in 1956 and Lewis about early was 19- writing about the early 1900s maybe the late 1800s and he's like do you have pockets sorry okay so it wasn't the pockets no it was not the pockets all right tell, it was this, tell us
1: it was this exchange uh i think i've seen you before she said i rather think so too said diggory have you been here long oh always said the girl and my first thought was always rhymes with hallways
0: mm, yeah
1: you and your and, and i had to get my house of leaves reference in for the third <laughs> podcast in a row and I feel like this is going to be a challenge now where I have to reference it in every single chapter that we do always. somehow. It also echoes it. Always
0: echoes always.
1: <laughs> uh, which I, is funny and I wanted to make a joke out of, but at the same time that's like my one final thought uh, to end with is that that's another literary thing that this space reminded me from is the house from House of Leaves. The house she...
0: specifically or, or the hallways?
1: The hallways. Like just this ethereal space where like time doesn't mean anything and space doesn't mean anything and memory is fluid
0: Yeah And And there's this vague sense of self and intention behind it, but yeah, but could you just fall forever?
1: Yeah It was very similar to that. So I feel I feel like a lot of things took inspiration from this idea
0: yes which this in and of itself took inspiration from yeah. from other fantasy and in the first thing that you pointed to Dante's divine comedy yeah i mean so many things have taken inspiration from that to just dig in and say here is this World beyond. And I mean, you can even argue that a lot of that has taken inspiration from various different spiritual texts where there's angels and demons and this whole other world under the surface of this world that can yeah. influence this world but maybe can't be seen or felt by everyone but is accessible to some. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't know for me, this kind of search for a fantasy world is almost a search for meaning. Yeah. and this kind of dive into this fantasy world obviously it's a children's book so there's going to be themes and growing experiences and you know lessons learned but yeah. this specific type of fantasy just to me speaks of that kind of searching for what it is below the surface what's more especially for Diggory who's dealing with trauma and As a, as, you know, I mean, you could even take this as an allegory for, for Diggory's trauma dealing Mm -hmm. with his mother's imminent death from her illness. Yeah. Where he's alone in the world and he has like, what if Polly doesn't actually exist? I mean, what if Polly's just a figment of Diggory's imagination that he's constructed to help him cope with his mother's death?
1: I I hate those series because I feel like they're lazy.
0: Okay, no, no, and... no, but like, <sighs> it's I I I don't I don't agree with you, but I don't disagree. <laughs> However, what I'm saying is it's it's an opportunity to look at the story in another way. Uh-huh. To say here's a search for a meaning in it because I don't want to lose sight going into this of where Diggory's coming from, because yeah, Diggory is some kid okay. who's thrown into this crazy situation but he's he's a kid coming from a very frightened home where he's got his crazy uncle that he has to live with while his dad's out of the country while his mom's dying and uh-huh. he left his beautiful home and had to come to this hole called London yeah, and he's managed to find this green forest with pools and stuff like that in London uh, you know I don't I don't want to lose sight of where Diggory's coming from and just be like he's just some kid like he's going through some serious stuff yeah so yes I I I, I don't like this whole book as an analogy <sighs> for dealing with trauma uh-huh. I feel like that would weaken the quality of the book and the and what the book has to say right but I do feel like it's important for me to keep bringing up where Diggory's is coming from because I feel like it It will influence him if the book is, you know, written with that in mind.
1: So do, do we ever get to a place where we discover where Polly is coming from? Like she's just there in the yeah. beginning of the book. We don't really have a any kind of backstory for her. Do we get one? I don't know. Okay. I have no idea. So before we get to our final thoughts uh, to close this out, uh, Let's go ahead and get to the segment where we rate this chapter. All right. What is our rating device going to be this time? I
0: think it should be out of 10-foot pools.
1: (laughs) Sure.
0: Oh, another thing. There's a character in one of the later books whose last name is Pool. Don't know which book it is, but it's the book where, it's the book
1: after. Is he related? She.
0: It's the book (laughs) after Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh Uh-huh. Um, it's it's the silver chair. Okay. It's a character whose last name is Poole and the other main character just calls her Pool. Anyway, that just B O L L E, P O O L E. Um, so yeah, Eustace and Poole I don't even remember what her first name is. I just know that her name is Poole Huh. Um. Yeah. Anyway.
1: So out of ten foot pools, uh, you want to go ahead and rate, or do I? Am I kicking this off? Well, I mean. Since this is my segment, this I, is
0: your segment, so. <laughs> go ahead.
1: Uh. I. Like I said, I like this chapter. Uh. I like introducing alien worlds and concepts and taking characters out of their element as plot devices. Uh. But at the same time, on the negative side, not a lot of plot actually happens. Uh. It's just. I feel like it's. I'm gonna feel like uh, as I go back to this chapter in the context of the rest of the book, this chapter's not really gonna matter, and if you took it out, the story wouldn't change. I feel like this is basically gonna be a throwaway.
0: If I tell you that you're wrong, uh, would that change your rating?
1: Um, uh, maybe, but uh, I'm I'm open to being wrong, but at this point, I feel like it's it's gonna be one of those things that's just alluded to and is not actually important. Uh because it's a different tone than the rest of the book is set. So all that being said, I'm gonna but go.
0: How do you know what the tone of the rest of
1: the book is? <sighs> well, the first part of the book. Anyway, so that being said, I'm gonna say four 10 foot pulls out of five. Okay. Okay because I really like it, but at the same time, I feel like it's not meaningful mm. uh, Which I guess is kind of the point because this place isn't meaningful. In, in my or is of it? it? Yeah. But how about oh you? Go ahead.
0: I'm gonna give it five splashes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a full five splashes.
1: Our rating system exclamation was ten pools, not splashes. You yes, just changed the.
0: Which you did not complain about me doing on yeah. the last episode.
1: Yeah, I can only complain about stuff you do so much. I need to stretch this out for the duration of our lives. Yeah, I'm deaf, deaf. <laughs> anyway
0: so you only complain the second time
1: so five out of five splashes this is your ideal chapter. i didn't
0: say out of five splashes i just said it i gave it five splashes <laughs> why do you have to challenge this you had no problem with me doing this last time because
1: this is my segment i set the rules
0: yes and i let you have this segment <laughs> that does not mean that i have to be a part of it mm. I give this chapter five splashes uh-huh. with exclamation points. Wow.
1: <laughs> wow. So, uh, before we close out, final thoughts, anything? Cause I had one final thought that I was saving till after the rating, which is, uh, kind of a big philosophical thing that I don't want to fully go into. So anyway, final thoughts. Uh, I don't want to get into all the philosophy of it quite You asked yet. me a question. Yes, I did. What was that question?
0: You asked me if I had any final thoughts. Yeah, and you said no. I said nothing. Oh, okay. (laughs) And you just kept talking. Hey, go ahead then. This is going to be the blooper at the end. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Final thoughts on this chapter. I feel like this chapter introduces the world outside of our world very well. I feel like this is a good step because if we just dove straight into Narnia the way we do in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, like even The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe has an intermediary step. Lucy is in the woods. She meets Mr. Tumnus. She has tea. She comes home. She goes back again. And then the intrigue starts Uh of Narnia as this bigger place with the witch and all of these things. Yeah. So this is Tumnus's House. This is our tea with thumbness time. Is the two of them meeting for the first time again in the woods? Uh huh. In the wood beyond, no, in yeah. the wood between the worlds. Yeah. All right. So those are my closing thoughts. Go ahead with your great philosophical
1: stuff. Uh, yeah. And again, I, I like throwing in some themes that are recurring throughout literature and throughout media. Uh, But I feel like this is a really solid example of that, and just this innate human idea that there has to be something beyond the world, Mm. because I feel like this shows up in all cultures and in all forms of media, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of examples of this, and this is a thing that's been done many, 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 many many times. But this we just watched a Star Trek
0: (laughs) Voyager episode like four days ago that involved it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just, just this idea that this reality is not the only reality, hmm. which I feel like is universal, and I, I, I feel like the universa, uni, the universality of that has to mean something. But we won't go into that. Uh, this is a good example of of that idea, and I liked it. And see you next week for chapter four,
0: five splashes. <laughs> Editor Kristen here, dropping in one last time to thank you so much for your patience with the quality issues of this episode. Uh, I would love to invite you to join us on social media by following us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Chronically Pod on Twitter. Uh, You can also email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com if you're interested in getting more involved in our podcast and discussion. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. In my research this uh, world, sorry, there's one, this wood between the worlds,
1: uh-huh.
0: in the wood, oh, dang it, that was two, in the wood Leon. between,
1: between worlds,
0: yeah. in the wood between the worlds. Yeah.
1: And I'm a guinea pig. Beep,
0: beep, 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 beep.